We're getting more transfer portal buzz. We got three reasons why Oklahoma returns to contention in 2023. And Rose Bowl, what are you doing? What are you even thinking? We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked on Sooners. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Sling TV. Don't miss the Big 12 Championship available for you on Sling. Sling is the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. This is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. So we got more transfer portal buzz happening yesterday. It was reported that Theo Wees was intending to enter the transfer portal by Mike Roach of 24 seven sports. And today Jordan Mukes announced on Twitter that he was also intending to enter the transfer portal, which officially opens on December 5th. Uh, Jordan Mukes, a guy that played some as a true freshman in 2021, part of that 2021 class for Lincoln Riley and didn't play a snap uh, under Brent Venables in 2022. So thoughts on, Mukes entering the portal. I think it is uh, the perfect time for us to remind everybody, this is, yes, portal season. This is not, people, freakout season for Oklahoma. Or at the very least, John, it's not freakout over every name that enters the portal season for Oklahoma. And I would, with, with all due respect to Jordan Mukes, who might have a very nice football future somewhere else. Based on what we saw from Jordan Mukes at the University of Oklahoma, until further notice, this is not a name that Sooner fans should be pulling their hair out, freaking out about losing. The transfers, I guess what I'm saying, John, are not all created equally, right? With Jordan Mukes, you're talking about somebody that had four career tackles at the the University of Oklahoma. With Theo Weiss, you're talking about somebody that, well, he was – he was tied for your receptions leader back in 2020. It's someone that I honestly would have expected to finish with much more than 19 grabs for 378 yards and four scores this season. But somebody that over the course of his career, John, was a 1,000-yard receiver collectively, someone that uh, has made a bunch of plays. Well, maybe not a bunch of plays, but has made plays at the University of Oklahoma. So this is my friendly reminder to Sooner Nation out there. Not all transfer portal departures are created equally. Let's not freak out collectively over the ultimate final number of transfer portal departures just yet. Now, let's, I guess, wait and see where this ultimately goes down the road, John. But I just think it's a good time to remind everybody that, again, not every transfer portal departure is created equally. And you look at a guy like Jordan Mukes, there were opportunities like to play for the Oklahoma Sooners this season. You know, Billy Bowman got hurt. Uh, Key Lawrence was in and out of the lineup. They had to go to Trey Morrison at times. And so there were there was potential to earn snaps, and yet he wasn't able to do it uh, under this coaching staff. And so it's not all that surprising that he's moving on, looking elsewhere. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if he follows uh, another, you know, all those other 2021 guys that ended up going to USC and Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, and Latrell McCutcheon. If 
they go out there would not surprise me one bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, an athletic dude. He's got big size. He'll, he'll make somebody, you know, he'll play well for somebody somewhere. It's just not going to happen at Oklahoma. And that's just the reality of the situation is a lot of times, like these kids are going to transfer more or less looking for opportunity. Will they get that opportunity somewhere else? Maybe, maybe not. But a guy that was a four-star player coming out of high school, you'd like to think that he'll be able to produce somewhere. But I think you're absolutely right. Like this is going to be a long couple of months. They're going to be, you know, kids that enter the portal and then come back. They're going to be, you know, kind of like a Justin Harrington did last year, Theo Weiss last year. Uh, they're going to be kids that enter the portal and then go. There might be even some surprises out there, but that's just part of the nature of college football anymore is that kids are going to be looking for whatever opportunity, whether it's through NIL or for more playing time, or they're just not vibing with the coaching staff for whatever reason, there are going to be departures, but at the same time, there are going to be additions. I mean, the Oklahoma Sooners have already added uh, Jacob Lacey out of Notre Dame, a defensive tackle that's going to have an opportunity to kind of fill the Jeffrey Johnson role for this team in 2022, that big, strong interior defensive lineman that's going to have a, a hopefully have an impact in, on the run defense. Uh, he's already got, it's like 295. Um, and, you know, he had two sacks earlier this season against Cal. So a good chance for them to continue to build the team, build the roster through the transfer portal. It's just the way of the world now. But I think Oklahoma is going to be able to benefit from it too. So I, I think, again, transfers are going to happen. You're going to see some of your favorite players are going to even transfer and hit the transfer portal. But as we saw this last year, I mean, they brought in Dylan Gabriel, had a huge impact. Jeffrey Johnson had a strong impact. CJ Colden, like I think even though he was late to the game, didn't really start having an impact until later in the season. I mean, he was one of your better defensive backs over the last four or five weeks of the season. Uh, Trey Morrison, I mean, he was kind of up and down, but he did make some plays for you. So there, there are going to be players that they add through the transfer. Jonah Laula, like that was a dude that graded out as one of uh, Oklahoma's best uh, pass rushers, according to Pro Football Focus. So they'll find ways to to continue to retool this roster and hopefully get it into a position where it's much more able to contend in 2023. I do think that this season was probably a decent illustration that by and large, not every instance, John, but if you're thinking that Oklahoma will be in the business of just building even 30% of its roster in terms of legitimate difference makers and playmakers via the transfer portal, I just don't think that's the realistic path forward in terms of how everybody collectively in college football is going to do business. Now, does that mean that you can't have a couple of guys that are big time NFL type difference makers for you out of the transfer portal? I'm not saying that because Dylan Gabriel, I think is somebody that at some point in time could be not a long time NFL starting quarterback, but I think he can get, can get drafted somewhere. Certainly at this level, collegiately, He's a starting quarterback that I think for Oklahoma, you should believe it or not, based on some shortcomings at times with this offense, I think you should feel pretty good if Dylan Gabriel makes the decision, which I think he will, to come back and play quarterback for Oklahoma. You got Dylan Gabriel out of the transfer portal, right? From a, a non-Power 5 school, or I guess now now we say at UCF, it is a, a, a Power 5 school. Was it a Power 5 school? It's about to be a Power 5 school. So you got that. Uh, across the board, who else would be a legitimate transfer portal difference maker? C.J. Colden, right, was somebody that I think maybe Oklahoma 
stumbled upon too late throughout the course of the season, or like you said, it just took too long for the light bulb to come on for him. But by and large, I mean, we McCade Mattire, yeah, uh, helped you out a little bit, but these transfer portal additions that just collectively we thought were all going to be big time difference makers for Oklahoma. Jeffrey Johnson was, yeah, he was, he was okay. Jonah Laulu was, was okay, but those guys I wouldn't put in the category if they came in and were, and maybe this was unrealistic, John, but I, to some level had this expectation that, Oh, they're going to step in and be a Nick Benito or an Isaiah Thomas or a Perry on Winfrey. And so I guess what I'm saying is, Probably that's not what you can expect out of the transfer portal for the most part. Obviously, you want to avoid this, though, with somebody like a Theo Weiss, but it's just going to happen, man. It's just the day and age we live in with college football now. Yeah, I think if you can find one guy that's able to make a Dylan Gabriel-type impact, you know, each you know each transfer portal cycle, then that's, that's a huge win for you. They just didn't find that guy on the defensive side. At least, you know, C.J. Colden was kind of that for the defensive side, I think through the transfer portal, but even he had some coverage struggles you know, as, as good as he was at attacking the ball, you know, creating turnovers, things like that. He still had some issues in coverage. Um, not a perfect player. Some of it still has to, to develop. Uh, so I think, you know, they're not going to be as active as maybe USC or some other teams are going to be in the transfer portal. I think they're going to pick their spots, pick their shots, really try to identify players that are going to fit their system and then hopefully make a significant impact on the team. So if they're able to find a defensive version of Dylan Gabriel through the transfer portal, that'd make a significant difference for this team. But I think, you know, we'll talk about it next. I think there are going to be players that kind of rise or raise their game this off season going into 2023. And we're going to talk about some, you know, three reasons why we think uh, Oklahoma returns to big 12 title contention next season. But first let's talk to you about bet online. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to place all your bets Get ready for the Big 12 championship game with Bet Online. TC right now, a minus two and a half point favorite over at Bet Online. And the over under is sitting at 61 and a half. That man, that seems like a low over under with the way these teams have been scoring, but their defenses have been playing really, really good football too. So it's it's an interesting battle this Saturday because you got you know Will Howard, who wasn't the week one starter for Kansas State, going up against Max Duggan, who wasn't the week one starter for TCU. Really interesting dynamic there. But hey, if you're wanting to get in on the action on championship weekend, go to Bet Online. Again, Bet Online is where the game starts. So, Josh, it's optimism time. We spent several days, two episodes at least, talking about how the defense really struggled this year. We spent, you know, the last 10 minutes or so of our live stream talking about the offense and their inconsistencies. But we got to build some optimism because you know, right now everybody's seeing USC potentially heading to the playoff. We were just reminded the other day that it was a year ago since Lincoln Riley left and all of the national observers wanted to sit there and pound people with the idea that, Oh, Lincoln Riley's going to the playoff in year one and Oklahoma's six and six. Who cares? It's one year, whatever. Get over yourselves, national media members. So what, can we hang our hat on as we look to 2023? What makes you think that Oklahoma can return to national title contention? Josh, give me your first reason. Well, I'm going to slow my roll just a smidge, not to down all over the optimism. I say not national title contention, big 12 title contention. There you go. And maybe, maybe national title contention, right? If all of this. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. 
Well, that's okay. Now, national title contention, whatever. Let's be optimistic, ladies and gents. It's Dylan Gabriel. I know that this is a quarterback that the fan base, I don't think a, the majority of the fan base, but there's a vocal minority at times that feels like Dylan Gabriel isn't what you've had at the quarterback position in years past. And that probably is, is that? All, all, all well and true, right? There's there's some some truth to that. I still think, though, man, he's a pretty doggone good college quarterback. And statistically, though he missed some throws at times, that's one area he's going to have to get better at, John. And that's going to be one of the keys for Oklahoma. But just getting him back is, is step one. This is still somebody that 24 touchdowns he threw for against just six interceptions. So by and large, he did a good job taking the – taking care of the football for you, threw for nearly 3,000 yards. So statistically, all of that sort of stuff looks great. Uh, we know that there were some some key throws and key moments that didn't happen. I think that Gabriel this offseason, John, can study his own game a little bit and try and kind of think his way through. And this is going to be on Jeff Levy, I think, to some degree as well. They have to find a way for that tandem together to work a little bit better, I think, off script at times. And if they can do that, then a lot of the positives we saw this season, you add the off script to it, and all of a sudden I think you really got something at quarterback. I think we were a little too harsh on Dylan Gabriel this season, in part because he had a defense that, frankly, just wasn't very good for the most part. I think it's huge, and I've gone on record in saying that Dylan Gabriel should be the starter next year, and I hope he is because it gives you a better chance to win. I, I know Jackson Arnold's going to be great. He's going to be a fantastic quarterback at the college level. But for 2023, I think your best chance to win is Dylan Gabriel because he's got the experience. Now, does that mean that Jackson Arnold is not going to have a better career than Dylan Gabriel? I think he will. But I think just for next year, just looking at next year alone, Dylan Gabriel, he's got to be your starter. And I, and I think you're right. If they are able to go back into the lab and work on some of those things, especially some of the offensive, you know, the, the scheme a little bit, not relying so much on the swing pass. You know my disdain for the swing pass, the behind the, the line of scrimmage throw. If they can work on some of that and kind of minimize some of those things, they're not going to completely eliminate it from the playbook playbook because that's just part of Jeff Levy's offense. But that if they can kind of scale it back some to where he's not throwing 35% of his attempts behind the line of scrimmage, then I'm, I'm here for it. I'm down for it. I think they found something in the deep passing game that they need to make sure that they go to the well to quite a bit next year because, man, they were crushing tech with that on Saturday night. All right, Josh, reason number two that the Oklahoma Sooners will return to Big 12 title contention in 2023. So these final two, I think, really sort of go hand-in-hand hand together, but and, and specifically for the one side of the football. But reason number two that you're going to get back into Big 12 contention is in part because of the coaching staff that you have in place, right? And we've seen the track record of a Brent Venables. Probably even that first year at Clemson, John, wasn't quite as bad defensively as this one was at Oklahoma. But what did we see? Year two, improvement, total defense, scoring defense, rushing, passing, all of that from year one to year two for Venables at Clemson. What did we see from year two to year three? We saw improvement. Total defense, scoring defense, rushing, passing, to where all of a sudden, I think it was the third year, the third year you had the number one scoring defense at Clemson under Brent Venables in just that 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 third year's time. So, look, we're not at year three next season, 
but I do think the defense, it's got to get better, and you have to trust that it's going to get better because you've got somebody in Brent Venables and the rest of his coaching staff, John, that they didn't just forget how to coach football, man. They didn't just forget how to coach football. Yeah, I concur with that. I'm still of the mind that Brent Venables is going to be able to figure this thing out. I think the big key for them is to figure out what they're going to do at defensive coordinator because I don't think you can come back with Ted Roof as your DC next year. You gotta, you gotta find something different. I think they're going to be out there looking to see if there's any other options that might make sense for this team that improve the defense or at least improve the play calling. Ted roof might have, might be an okay defensive coordinator, but not having called plays or to call a scheme for a while. I think that kind of hurt him, you know, just sitting kind of being in the background. I don't think he was, I don't even say fully prepared, but I, I just don't think he had it really in him anymore. Um, again, the talent needs to improve, but I think your defensive coaching staff can also help your talent by putting them in better positions to succeed. All right, Josh, reason number three. So this is both sides of the football, and I do think it goes hand-in-hand with point number two because, look, if the defense is going to improve because you've got coaches that know how to incrementally improve a defense, well, something else has to happen. And that's young stars developing, right? And that's both sides of the football. Based on where we think this thing is headed with Oklahoma's skill talent, Theo Weiss, I mean – not so well kept of a secret anymore that he's entering the transfer portal. We'll see what happens with some of the other skill guys for OU. I think, look, I'm not breaking any news to you. Pretty safe bet that Marvin Mims is headed to the NFL draft. Okay. We'll see about the rest of that skill talent for Oklahoma. I would imagine Jalil Farouk is coming back to be your number one guy. And this is a great opportunity for him, John, to after this next season, kind of follow in Marvin Mims footsteps and, bolt right to the NFL after a huge season in Norman, but it can't just be Jaleel Farouk. Young stars developing. Got to have a Jaden Gibson. Got to have a Nick Anderson, those skill guys. I feel really good about where the running back position is at, even uh, minus Eric Gray. I like Javante Barnes. I'm excited about what the future for a track star like Gavin Sawchuk can look like. You got Caleb Hicks coming in. You got Smothers coming in. So running back's going to be okay. Running back's going to be okay, and you've got somebody there in Javante Barnes that's seen plenty of seat time beyond that though man it's the defensive guys right young stars defensively that we've got to see develop some that we've seen get snaps john uh, i'm thinking probably namely of your ethan downs your billy bowman's your danny stutzman's of the world and then some other guys that just really across the board again even the gibson and anderson's offensively i would put into this category john some of these guys that really we haven't seen play a whole lot they have got to develop and they've got to take their game to another level if Oklahoma's getting back into Big 12 contention. And I think that's possible. Yeah, and I think it starts with the three defensive guys that you mentioned taking another step in their development. Ethan Downs, four and a half sacks this year, started really playing well and, and getting good pressure uh, in the last half of the season after you know a lot of the pass rush kind of went absent in the middle part. You know, uh, Danny Stutzman led the Big 12 in tackles. Again, tackles isn't necessarily the best stat to go off of for how effective or what kind of a difference maker he is, but he also got several interceptions as well. So I think he's a guy that's constantly improving, and if he can take another step in 2023, that'd be huge for this defense. And then Billy Bowman as well in the secondary showed a lot of really, really good things, showed good tackling, good athleticism, um, good ball skills at times but again, needs to take another step in his development. 
I think a guy like R. Mason Thomas, he's going to, I think he's going to potentially be that Nick Bonito type player that you're looking for. I mean, even in his true freshman season, he flashed a ton. You know, there were times where he was the only one developing, getting pressure on the quarterback and it was in limited snaps. So if he can kind of take that next step in his development and become more of a, not, he didn't even have to become a starter next year, but if he's more of like a situational pass rusher, I think back to like Vic Beasley, if we're making the Clemson comparison, that was a guy that just, he just rushed the passer early in his career before he became a full-fledged starter. If our Mason Thomas can get out there and just be a, Hey, we're going to put you out there in second and long, third and long situations when they're trying to play catch up and we have a lead, we're going to put you out there. You're going to just rush the passer. Don't even worry about playing the run. You just go get the quarterback. And I think that'd be huge, a, a huge step in his development. But maybe he just develops into that other defensive end opposite of Ethan Downs, a guy that you can just throw. And those are your book in defensive ends. I think you're cooking with something there if you can get those two guys working on the same page. But I think you're right offensively. I mean, with the turnover that is likely to happen at wide receiver, we know Braden Willis is, is gone. He's going to the NFL. And with some of your offensive line turnover, you've got to see these guys, the 2022 class guys take a step guys that behind them like you know tyler guyton that's a transfer that we didn't really talk about much but he played really well in spots this season potentially you're gonna have to rely upon him to be a starter next year and so you need to see these guys that we either saw a little bit of or we saw nothing from take a step and become significant players for this team in 2023 it's it's fun being you know seeing somebody else take the optimist role because that's usually me uh, maybe on the next show, we can do three reasons why Oklahoma won't uh, return to Big 12 title contention in 2023. But uh, coming up, we're going to talk about uh, the Rose Bowl, man. Those West Coasters always got to make things difficult for everybody else. Just thinking they're so high. Sorry to our Oklahoma Sooners fans, Lockdown Sooners fans that are uh, on the West Coast. We love you. I, hey, I lived in California for a time, so I'm that person too. But let's talk about that real quick. Uh, but first... Thank you so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Again, we're free and available on all podcast platforms. Also, go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast with Peter Bukowski, giving you all the latest in sports, the top stories in under 20 minutes. Again, Locked On Sports Today podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Josh, CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd broke out that the Rose Bowl is kind of holding up the college football playoff expansion a little bit. Everybody's ready to go to 12 teams. The bowl, the bowl games, the networks, the conferences, Notre Dame, the group of five, everybody and their grandma is ready to expand this thing to 12 teams as far as like the decision makers that have the power to make this decision. But the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl is holding up this this uh, expansion because it has to be a unanimous unanimous vote and the Rose bowl is like, I don't know, give us what we want and we'll give you the, we'll give you our vote. So what do they want, Josh? Well, they want to stay in their traditional time slot of January, January 1st at what would be 4 PM central time, five Eastern. Right. And there's really nothing more to it than that. Right. They want to be a part of the Rose Bowl parade in its traditional spot at that, again, 4 p.m. Central time. That time slot, as I'm reading from Dennis Dodd here in his CBS sports story, considered one of the most valuable in sports television, though I liked what Dennis Dodd wrote next. However, in an expanded playoff, all parties are beginning to realize the games. This is a novel concept, John. 
the games themselves are more important than the bowls that host the contest. And I think that's where this thing is headed to where the Rose Bowl is about to figure out, look, it's less about you and it's more about who's playing in the Rose Bowl. I know you've got this incredible tradition and everybody loves it in Pasadena. And look, Oklahoma fans, even though the game itself was an absolute heartbreaker, a gut-wrencher, one that Sooner fans don't like reliving the final score of, every Oklahoma fan that I've talked to that went to the Rose Bowl versus Georgia, John, first-class experience, right? Everything about it was sensational. They, they loved it, right? But that's because it was the college football playoff in addition to just being at the Rose Bowl. It's because you're playing Georgia with the stakes, two teams that have had great seasons. And the Rose Bowl's, it seems like, willing to potentially risk being a part of all of this, John, because here's here's what Dennis Dodd wrote. They've basically given them an ultimatum. The Rose Bowl has until the end of this week to relinquish its demand to continue playing in that time slot with the college football playoff or else the college football playoff that we thought could expand to 12 teams sooner is going to be forced to wait. And if it's forced to wait, I just think everybody in that room is going to turn around and say, yeah, Rose Bowl, we don't want you to be a part of this next college football playoff contract, which opens the door for some interesting other bowl games to potentially slide in, John. Yeah, and he mentions uh, the, the Alamo Bowl, the Duke's Mayo Bowl out in Charlotte. Uh, some interesting options there. But it'd be, I mean, it'd be so weird to not have the Rose Bowl as part of the college football playoff. Again, the games are itself matters. But you think back to the history of college football, and the Rose Bowl has been a part of so many you know, games that have decided national champions. Uh, you know, I just think back into the '90s when I was a kid, still watching, you know, watching football out west, watching the Rose Bowl, Michigan and Michigan and USC, Michigan and UCLA. Like those were huge games at that time, and. I don't know. It'd be, it just feel weird if the Rose bowl wasn't a part of it somehow, some way, I think they figure it out. I think they, they come to an agreement and are able to work it out. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's an odd stance for the Rose bowl to take because I mean, their game's been diminished already over the last you know decade in the college football playoff era, because when Washington is in the playoff or, you know, now it looks like USC is going to be in the playoff. They're not getting the top prize from the pack 12. They're not, and you know, with Ohio or Michigan going to the playoff, they're not getting the top Big Ten team in the Rose Bowl, and so you're getting, you know, second place teams in the Rose Bowl, and still, yes, it's a great atmosphere, great history, great tradition, but the game doesn't matter as much because it doesn't have the stakes like you talked about. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that all plays out and how that all turns out for Oklahoma or for Big Twelve fans in particular. If it's the Alamo Bowl that gets added. That's really, that's really great because I mean, that's, I mean, San Antonio is pretty far from Norman. San Antonio is a trek. It's like eight hours or seven hours. But if you're Texas or if you're even TCU or Baylor, like that's basically a road game or sorry, a home game. It's a short road trip. You know, it's a couple hours from Austin, you know, four hours from Waco or so something like that. Um, haven't timed that trip Waco to San Antonio before, but, uh, so it's not much, it's not a big deal to make that trip and you're going to be able to travel. Well, if it's Charlotte for the Duke's mail bowl, I mean, that benefits the ACC a little bit, 
SEC a little bit, big, you know, the, the, you know, some of those big 10 schools out East, but it, it's an interesting stance for the Rose bowl to take understanding how much money is going to be a part of the college football playoff in its future. But I appreciate the college football playoffs, you know, kind of stance on this. Like we're going to make our money. Do you want to be a part of it or not? And if not, then just let us know and we'll go in another direction because we'll have plenty of plenty of spots ready and willing to jump in on this thing and take whatever date we give them. Well, and you hit on a couple of the interesting notes about this for Oklahoma, which is, you know, honestly, as OU fans, the, the Rose Bowl's awesome. And you're right. It's synonymous with the history of college football. And there's just something that's going to be sad about it not being a part of high stakes college football going forward. But really for Oklahoma's vested interests, the San Antonio game, a game in San Antonio for the Alamo bowl would be best for Oklahoma, right? If you had the cotton bowl and the Alamo bowl, both a part of the national championship college football playoff type environment for OU, that gives you two opportunities to have basically that virtual home game. If uh, the college football playoff gets to the point to where basically it's trying to replace that west coast outpost in a college football playoff or you know have something that can join the fiesta bowl in that regard i guess the las vegas bowl look there's a brand new stadium in las vegas that's listed here that would love to host the college football playoff so i just think the rose bowl is flirting with disaster on this thing i know their history with college football yes it would be sad if they're not a part of it but i don't know many things john but i do know one thing about business if you cost, which it sounds like the primary, this is from Dennis Dodd, the primary reasons to expand early are to provide more playoff access to teams and to score a wait for it, an extra $450 million per year from rights holder ESPN so it could air the additional games at 24-25. If you're costing people $450 million, again, I don't know many things, John, but I know a little bit about some things that, Probably that's not going to sit too well when you get to the next negotiation table. Yeah, the the, the people in the room will not be uh, too happy to to be sitting at the table with you if you cost them that kind of a cash. But we'll see. I mean, it, college football has changed so much. You know, the the history of it is kind of slowly fading away a little bit. And this is another conversation that we can have. You know, that, that came up last week, but the idea of moving OU Texas to rivalry week. I saw, you know, even sooner fans, several people mentioned that um, I wanted to talk about it in an expanded, you know, segment at some point, but just the idea that kind of hurts. Like you, I don't want to see that, but also not having the Rose bowl part of it would be weird as well. It'd be like not having uh, you know, the sugar bowl as part of the college football playoff or not having, I think the cotton bowl, bringing the cotton bowl into the playoff rotation was huge. That was such a great addition because yeah, maybe it, it didn't have the same kind of um, stakes as maybe the Rose bowl, but there were times, there was a time like when, you know, the big eight in the Southwest conference were really, really going strong. Like that, that was a huge game um, on the college football landscape. And so getting that back into the, the elite tier of college football bowls, that's huge. Don't let the Rose Bowl slide out of that either. And the Rose Bowl shouldn't want to. Like the Rose Bowl should really do everything it can to stay in uh, the, the premier bowl package of games. But 
We'll see what turn how this all turns out. We'll see what the Rose Bowl ends up doing. Ultimatums are never good in business because nobody wants to be forced to do anything. So we'll see how this all plays out. But we'll we'll continue to talk about it. College ball playoff expansion is coming, whether it's 2024 or 2026, it's gonna come just like Christmas for the Grinch. It came just the same. Uh, or for the who's, I should say. But that's going to do it for today's episode Grinch. of Locked And for the Grinch. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Again, thanks so much for tuning in and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Go follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can follow me on Twitter at John Nine Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram at Locked On Sooners, and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. But until next time, he's Josh. I'm John. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>